Bay STEM Conference presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean, sit down with North Carolina A&T State University's Dean of the College of Engineering, Dr. Robin Koger. Up first is Corning Incorporated's Manager of Technical Talent Pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Dr. Robin Koger. In 2011, Dr. Koger joined North Carolina A&T State University as the Dean of the College of Engineering. And after all these years, she is still excited about the accomplishments and innovations of the students, faculty, staff, and alumni of the college. Along with being a fellow of the American Society of Mechanical Engineers and the American Institute for Medical and Biological Engineering, Dr. Koger is also a board member of FIRST, an organization founded to inspire the interest and participation of young people in engineering, science, and technology. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean. Well, thank you so much, Brandon, and welcome everyone to this edition of High Tech Sunday. I always say, I think, when we get started with a segment that it is absolutely an exciting time to be involved with high tech, and that certainly is no exception today. But it is rare that on High Tech Sunday, we have a topic that includes the word unicorn. So, so we're going to find out what that's all about today as we uh, look and think about leading, especially when others view you as a unicorn. And I'm telling you, today's special guest is probably an expert on the topic. And so we're looking forward to getting to know a little bit more about Dean Dr. Robin Koger from North Carolina A&T. How are you, Dr. Koger? Good to see you and happy um, today. Great to see you also, Dr. Vaughn, and it's wonderful to be here. Awesome. It has been a pleasure of mine uh, since the middle of last year to be involved with High Tech Sunday. And every now and then uh, there's a guest whose name is familiar or someone with whom uh, I've had an opportunity to collaborate. But this is a first because of the fact that you and I have had the opportunity to cross paths for quite some time now. I remember well in 2011 when the announcement was made about the appointment to the the deanship, if you will, uh, for the College of Engineering at North Carolina A&T. And we're going to certainly hear a lot about that. But it is going to give me an opportunity to learn some more about you and what it is that kind of drives your passion. Uh, so let's jump right in and kind of find out a little bit about that. If you were on the elevator um, in fundamental research, I believe that you uh, have been to Corning Incorporated once before, if not more. Uh, if not, we have to get you up here. Uh, but the tallest building on our campus uh, in research is six stories tall. So if we got in on the ground floor and we're taking the elevator to the top and we wanted to know who is Robin Koger, how would you respond? Wow. So I have the choice of answering with the elevator pitch or actually just telling you the story. Well, tell but us the story. You want the story? Oh, well, yeah. we're going to run out of elevator time, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up in New York and uh, in a family of three children where I was the only girl. The three of us are all close in age, which means that whatever my brothers were doing, I was doing also. And I'm the middle. So we were definitely always together. Um, so I guess that translates to, was I a tomboy? Uh, yes, I would say I was. But I think even more than that, growing up conditioned me to be very comfortable hanging out with the guys. And isn't that funny that years and years later with the profession that I chose, it's, it's male dominated. But for me, that's comfortable because that's the way I grew up. Um, the other thing about growing up in New York is that you have so many cultures in that city. And so I had first ex hand experience from all the time growing up of the richness of diversity and how it adds to any environment. So 
who is Robin Cogar? So see, you said you wanted the long story. You asked <laughs> for it. My education from kindergarten through 12th grade were through the New York City public schools. And um, I enjoyed learning. I've always been curious about multiple topics. And the result of that is that I was actually valedictorian three times, elementary school, junior high school, and in high school. And when it came time to figure out where and what I wanted to major in in college, you can imagine if you like so many different subjects, it's not an easy decision. So what am I going to be? If you asked me when I was a junior in high school, I probably would have said I'm going to be an attorney. But the time that I grew up in New York, there was such a richness of programs that allowed you to be exposed to different careers. And so one of those many that I was exposed to included mock trial. I was one of the attorneys. And uh, in doing that, I learned that as much as I liked preparing the case and, and presenting it and even cross-examining, what I did not like about what I saw at that from that view of mock trial in uh, the legal profession was that there was a part of that of the decisions, the results of the case, that was up to subjectivity. And I didn't like the subjectivity. And so ultimately, when I was a senior and I was deciding what I was going to do for what field, I ended up saying, I'll start with engineering, only because I knew just a little bit about it. But I thought, well, I'm good in math, I'm good in science. If I start with engineering and I don't like it, I assume that it would be easier for me to trans transfer out of engineering into something else than it would be to start in something else and transfer into engineering. And so that's how I ended up choosing engineering as my first degree. Wow. And so um, I always look for headlines as people are speaking, as our guests are speaking, and it sounds like engineering was the fallback. Uh, uh, the, the legal profession uh, was, had some subjectivity and science, engineering, uh, you know, two plus two is going to be four today and tomorrow and next year and next year after that. Um, and so that's really cool that you were thinking, okay, if I go into engineering and I don't necessarily like it, I have some choices. Um, and that really is freeing when you think about it, because oftentimes today, and you certainly know this better than anyone, uh, people show up thinking that I'm locked in and, uh, uh, and I'll suck it up and I will make it work, even if it is definitely not aligned with where my real passion is. And so I guess that kind of brings me to a another question when did you find your passion? So you got into engineering, but to be someone whose career has brought her to the pinnacle, if you will, of one of the world's um, uh, uh, most highly regarded schools of engineering, uh, certainly there had to be more than just, okay, um, it's a fallback. There had to be a passion that developed at some point. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I've never thought of uh, the way I chose to be an engineer as a fallback. <laughs> but what I did know for sure is that the curriculum that I would have to complete in being an engineer was one that was one that would, it, it just would be difficult if I had started off as, I don't know, a journalist in order to just make sure that I had the physics and the math that was necessary for the field. So not so much fallback as much as a different kind of choice. In my family, I didn't have any engineers. And so it wasn't so much that it was a fallback, it was unknown. It wasn't mm. clear to me that it was a field that I was going to enjoy. But what ended up happening while I was as an undergrad, and I, I did undergrad, as, as you know, near Corning at Cornell in Ithaca, New York, what ended up happening in my case was that I still enjoyed the math. I still enjoyed the learning. And because of that, it's why I, I stayed in the field. So when you think about my passion, I think it was because I was still enjoying the experience. And when you're an engineering student, you know, people don't realize how collaborative uh, the fields are as professionals, but also when you're in school. So there's a community that you're a part of whatever major you choose as an undergrad. And in this case, because we had a community of engineers and we had a community even of African-American engineers uh, when I was an undergrad, that actually helped the field seem as though this is something that I want to do. 
Hmm. And so I, I don't think we should underestimate how that makes a difference because I think it made a difference certainly for me. But even as I was nearing the end of undergrad, you asked, well, what, what was my, my passion, my mission? It wasn't the passion and mission that had me continue. It was more just the fact that I was still enjoying it. I was still able to learn. And I also felt like I was still growing uh, by doing it and learning new things. And so I actually decided to go and get my master's. And so um, I had the choice of staying on at my same undergraduate uh, university for a master's for just a one-year program. I was accepted into that or applying. So when I was a senior, I applied to uh, industry um, jobs, full-time jobs. I applied to grad school. And so I did all of those. And so I had this choice to make of, was I going to industry? Was I going to move on to the master's? And ultimately I chose to move on to master's, but I chose to do it completely differently. I chose to, so I had offers from full-time jobs. I had various acceptances for grad school. And I chose to cross the country and go to Berkeley in order to pursue my master's in mechanical engineering. That's what I ultimately ended up choosing to do. Again, the plan was just to get the master's. And so when I think about the question you actually asked, which is passion mission, um, it was continuing to learn that I think kept me moving on to get the degree. But really when I think about what is actually driving me, I actually just, I strive to make a positive impact on the world. And when, as I think about what I really, from the context of being a dean, I try to do it one person at a time. And so it's, it's not just the students, it's not just working with my colleagues, it's not just the organization, but it's just making sure that I'm, I'm actually making choices to be impactful. Uh, at least that's what I'm trying to do. And wow. I, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say that when you think about uh, that last statement about being impactful. Um, I was not uh, being uh, uh, dramatic when I said I, I view uh, deans as at the pinnacle of education. I know that there are presidents and provosts and, and all of that, but uh, I have witnessed how deans touch not only students, but faculties in a way that um, most administrators do not, if, if the deans are doing what you just said, trying to have an impact. Uh, and so that kind of touches on uh, something that we uh, really enjoy learning about on High Tech Sunday, and that is kind of what informs that? What informs that mission? We've talked uh, with many different guests about different levels of spirituality and how spirituality has informed and influenced them along their journey. Can you share with us how that has been the case in your life? Absolutely. You know, I, I, like many, I grew up in the church. And so faith and and making sure that I that the world is so much bigger than we can see and knowing in my case uh, the God and knowing that there's a support that we all have access to a resource that we all have access to always continue to make a difference but I think for me that makes a difference in multiple things strength and courage it's strength mm -hmm. and courage because the uh, avenues that we're seeking to um, to build, uh, the new paths that we are seeking to take, they often require courage. And when you're not able to see clearly what's the next step, um, it's a very important part to know that you are just a small part of such a bigger entity, a bigger universe. And for me, um, whether they were difficult times or easy times, I like knowing that there's so much more of a sense behind all the actions and also that there's something that I can always lean on when I'm trying to figure out uh, difficult situations. So for me, what uh, my faith does for me is provide me both with strength, but also the courage, the courage to reach out on faith at times because uh, you're really not sure what the next step is there because you can't see it. There are too many factors that are involved. And so as the more that I can align myself with making sure I'm connected to the source, the easier it is for me to 
move with the right intention. And so sometimes that's all you know. You can check the intention. You can do all the analysis possible. But the bottom line is there's so much that is you can't see that I'm just trying to make sure my alignment is where it should be. That's really, really important for us to just reiterate, we hear that in, in different ways from, from all of our guests, really, but I was floored when you spoke of strength and courage. Uh, as you know, I'm a pastor as well. As I do my, know that. My day job. Uh, and, <laughs> and actually, uh, in, my, in my sermon back on Sunday, uh, we were looking at virtue. And uh, there is a Greek word for virtue, and it means strength and courage. And so uh, it, it really does speak to, I believe, uh, again, thinking about how I have witnessed you over the last decade um, in your profession, uh, there is a virtue that you uh, seem to consistently embrace about how you go about making a difference, not only at North Carolina A&T, but in the technical community wherever you find yourself. And so uh, that was a great capture. And I really appreciate that. Well, thank uh, so, you for your kind words. So what's the Greek word for virtue or what's the Greek word for the word? So you put me on the spot. I'll have to go to my notes when I hand off to Lango and I'll, I'll pull it up for you. Uh, but I just really, I was like, wait a minute. She wasn't, <laughs> uh, she wasn't in the service on Sunday, was she? No, I, mean, I was this, not. <laughs> this was so specific. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I will absolutely um, grab that note because it it abs it completely fits what you said, uh, wow. and I think that and I think that it is the embodiment of what we're talking about. Because in order for you to lead, especially when others view you as different, others view you as out of place, others view you as why are you at this table? Do you as a unicorn? It does take strength and courage to be true to yourself true to your passion, true to your mission, and continue to make a difference. So let's jump into that. Okay. Unicorns. When you think about others viewing you as a unicorn, let's just ask you, can you give us your definition of a unicorn in the first place? Yeah, so the question that we often ask is, does, do unicorns really exist? Right. Never seen a unicorn, right? And so is it a mythical character, you know? And so I think that's the issue. You know, you're conspicuous and you're conspicuous, but you're also considered by many to be rare. Now you ask, is it good? Is it bad? It's probably both because for the individual, it means that you never have the complete comfort of just being you know, I talked about growing up and being one of the guys. Well, what happens if you're always uh, in certain environments considered to be so unique that you're not, your, your, your social circle at work, for instance, may not be the same as your, your project circle. And so if you feel that there's a division between that, it can be bad because it means that you may not be able to bring your whole self to, to work. And so I think when you define a unicorn I, in the way that we're using it here, we're really just saying someone, anyone, whether it's me or you, it's someone who in their environment in which they're spending a lot of time is seen to be so rare that people either dehumanize or forget about the total person uh, that is who that uh, colleague is. And so when you... Look at it that way. Uh, it certainly begs the question related to perspective. You may not see yourself as a unicorn because you're living in, uh, so to speak, inside the uh, inside of the tank. You can't read. You're in the bottle, so you can't read the label uh, that's printed on the outside of the bottle, right? Uh, so what if others are looking at you like a unicorn, but you don't see yourself that way? How do you make sense of their perception versus your own? And is it your responsibility to get them to see you the way you see yourself? 
you know, I think we would all debate that. That's that's one of those uh, debating kind of, of yeah. topics. You I don't put your litigating skills to work. I, I don't. Yes, yes. <laughs> lose it, even though you didn't go that direction. I I do not feel it's my responsibility to make everyone else comfortable with that. I do, however, feel that it's my responsibility, just as we were talking about impact before, I do feel it's my responsibility that because I am there, that yes, I need to be prepared. Yes, I need to, um, if I'm presenting or if, if I'm not presenting, make sure that I'm not fading into the woodwork as though I'm just part of the scenery. But it also means that that environment needs to make sure that that they are benefiting from the contributions that I have by being there. And I think also that I owe it to myself to do that. So I think some things were learned over time. I think there's a nervousness that happen, uh, that happens to anyone who's in those kind of environments where you may be concerned about speaking up, especially if your views may be different than the majority of whoever that majority is. I think in my case though, um, we talked about the, the courage. For me, I think even when I was a junior faculty member, I spoke up and I was speaking up because I wasn't one who thought that the time to talk was when after the meeting, when you're in the hallway. I thought that while it's going on, we have this opportunity to have a discussion. And depending on the comfort of that environment depends on if when someone is like that, whether it's shut down or if it's actually encouraged. But I, have, I try to make it my responsibility as a leader now to hear different points of view, but I also have always done that even when I didn't have a title. I always tried to still make sure that if I thought there was something that needed to be said, I try to do it pol uh, politely and, and by being conscious of what's going on in that environment, but I still try to make sure that I was adding value to the conversation. And so certainly I could imagine that as a dean, maybe, but certainly as a junior faculty, um, when that part of your unicorn-ness was showing, was it sometimes not necessarily well-received? And if not, how'd you deal with that? Yeah, I think we all have stripes of that type. Um, and those are the stripes where you see the this, this, uh, the, the non-approval of a, a divergent view. Um, but I find that those are also telling me something about the people that I'm dealing with, the organization that I'm dealing with. Um, and it also gave me some um, hints on how I would do things differently were I in that, in that environment. Mm. So there's not a woman engineer that you, you, you can, that you'll know that wouldn't be able to tell you, and my team will tell you that I may call them lab partner if, let's say, I say something and then someone else says what I just said, and as though it's their new idea, I may call them lab partner. And what am I saying there? That's an example of, well, is the unicorn also invisible? The fact that you just contributed to a, a project, this is going to school, and um, and no response, but then when someone else who looked like the norm for that environment said exactly the same thing, oh, great idea, great idea. And so you can imagine that that could actually harm your spirit, which yeah. is why self-esteem ends up being a really important part. You don't get your self-esteem from other people. Self-esteem is something that comes internally. And I think that's the reason why, as I would advise anyone as you're, as you're developing, as you're growing up, expose yourself to opportunities to push yourself. Because the more you get those successes, and you, it allows you to keep doing it so that when you stumble or when you have this kind of barrier where maybe you're shut down because you have an idea, does it define you? Or is it just something that you view as, 
a learning in a learning uh, you know situation or or even sometimes if you assess yourself and there's not something for you to learn it's something to learn about those that you're dealing with and so trying to put it in the right context i think is extremely important because if you don't have those ability to push your envelope and and try these new things and and succeed in doing that so that you have some successes to talk about or remember then it could actually harm your heart to stay with it and our fields are not easy fields. You know, engineering, computer science, they're difficult fields. So you have to get in the habit of knowing that everything isn't going to always work. Mm -hmm. But if you immediately do negative self-talk, assuming that you're not enough or things of that sort, it can prevent you from stretching and growing to who and the potential of who you could be. And that is the reason why I think that the biggest challenge is making sure you keep pushing um, and learning and realizing that, and by the way, there's another contrast to this, right? A contrast to this are those who push and are so arrogant that they never do the self-assessment to figure out, is there something that they can do to improve? Is there something that they can internally develop uh, to do even stronger in a situation? But I think for me, it's because I kept pushing that I still had enough confidence that even when I saw these more negative reactions to the fact that you're really just supposed to be quiet there, you're never supposed to speak. Hmm. Um, by the way, I don't believe you should speak just to hear your voice. I think you should speak right. because of a contribution uh, to what's being said. But that doesn't mean that there's not a nervousness that happens when you do that. But again, as I said, it's about making sure you're true to the, what the situation requires. And if you're in an environment, I think, in which so often you having a div diverging point of view and it not being received as something that should even be thought about and it's just, you know, thrown out, sometimes that really does say, is, does that company, does that environment, does that organization have the same values as you do and is it the right place for you to be? Is that a place you want to continue to be? And so I and think so, we all have those choices. And so I think that the idea of choice is something that, again, going back to what I was saying earlier, uh, when we lock people in, uh, they're nominally an 18-year-old who just finished high school three months earlier, and they're locked into a major that's going to define them as a career professional for the next 60 years. Uh, it's like, okay, you're eliminating choice in some, in some way. And so I, I appreciate um, those universities and colleges that recognize that and encourage the, their uh, young people in particular to explore. Uh, so that, that you can uh, identify that. But we sometimes lose sight of that as we move into uh, our professions and our careers. And so when you said keep pushing, the idea really uh, seems to convey this notion of uh, there's more that I need to explore. Uh, and then uh, the balance there is not to become um, proud keep your humility so that you're able to do the self-assessment. But the big headline for me was self-esteem. Self-esteem is not externally uh, acquired. It is internally produced. Uh, that was huge. Uh, and I think that we sometimes miss that point. If everybody is clicking on my Facebook, liking, 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 somehow that feeds my self-esteem. Uh, but if nobody likes it, something's wrong with me. Uh, and I, I think that you clarified that for us um, in a really cool way. Before I hand off uh, to Lango Dean, who is going to take us further, I have been trying to do a sketch of your unicorn. So it sounds like the Koger unicorn uh, is one who uh, speaks up, but to add value, is one who consistently pushes to make the understanding clear that I have room to grow, and one who is introspective enough to continually self-assess, how am I showing up? What else would people see as your unicorn, or what do you see 
uh, as those unicorn attributes. And if I missed, uh, if I misspoke and, and gave you gave you a feature that you don't have, you can let us know that too. No, I, I'll take those. Thank you very much and very kindly. Um, you know, in some environments, I'm a unicorn because I am a mechanical engineer with a PhD in mechanical engineering, and uh, I'm African American and I'm a woman, right? So for some, it's as uh, surface as that, right? In other cases, it's the fact that I believe that we all can learn from everyone and that you don't need to have a title in order for you to add value and, and add contribution to an environment. Um, I would also say that I see value in so many fields. And I think some people think that engineers are single dimensional and think that only engineering is the most important thing. Well, I think we love what we contribute to society as engineers, but we also know that what works is that we are working with multiple fields in order to produce uh, and, and make improvements for society. And if you're gonna make improvements for society, you have to work with society in all its dimensions. So I think all those things is that I also look for value in many fields and look for ways that we might be able to work together. Those things I think are value valuable. Awesome. And when we look at, um... Uh, the things that are valuable, I think that they all contribute to, uh, again, this idea of all of us actually uh, being unicorns when you uh, think about it that way. Uh, I want to explore uh, a little more, uh, but I'm going to uh, hand things over to my co-host, uh, Lango Dean, who's going to take us into another exciting part of the conversation, and I'll be back in a little bit. Hey, Lango, how are you? How are you today? I'm great. I'm enjoying uh, our time with Dean Koger. Wonderful. It's uh, it's a great conversation. And um, I just want to play a little bit with uh, the idea of unicorn uh, um, in my uh, segment before I throw it back to you. Go for it. You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn, Wango Dean, and our special guest, North Carolina A&T State University's Dean of the College of Engineering, Dr. Robin Koger. This week's episode is brought to you by the Baya STEM Conference. Now, a word from our sponsor. becomes clear. The opportunities ahead, the visions, and the dreams. I will be the last of all. The hope of what's in reach. Imagine the possibilities. It's the essence of science, of technology, world of careers unleashed. Everything you need to bring out the best in your career, you can get at Bayer. Bayer, becoming everything you are. Again, this week's episode is brought to you by the Bayer STEM Conference. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the show, Dr. Koger. Um, Thank you. Just uh, enjoy the conversation between you and Dr. Vaughn. A um, couple of things that I tagged were you were three times a valedictorian. I thought, wow. Um, and um, you also talked about 
self-esteem, having self-esteem, which Dr. Vaughn um, tagged as well, and exposing yourself to opportunities. Um, we're 15 days away from the Bay of STEM conference, so I'd like you to touch on that. But on the, the topic of being a unicorn, before we go on to the years you've spent as a dean, an engineering dean, and you are one of the unicorns in that area because I think there are only 57 female deans, engineering deans in the country, and there are, what, 340-something schools, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, engineering schools. But to me, you strike me as Lily, the unicorn in that uh, children's book. You're optimistic, always see the best, uh, the best uh, side of life. Um, so what do you tell the Rogers, the penguin who is always afraid of the future, that's Libby's friend, what do you say to them as an engineering dean, as a black female engineering dean? I think that when you are afraid of the future, the energy that comes with being afraid doesn't actually serve you very well. So when you break down and analyze what's making you so afraid, Sometimes it's easier to take it in step by step or smaller bites so that if you are sometimes what's overwhelming to someone is imagining it as a mountain that's just too big to climb. But the truth is, it's all one step at a time. When I was uh, younger, I didn't plan to be a dean. I certainly didn't plan, depending which snapshot of Robin Cover you look at, I certainly didn't plan originally to get a PhD. And so I think when, when we were talking about pushing before, I think it really is just learning more and seeing what options are available to us and making sure that we do the best that we can to position ourselves to be able to take advantage of the opportunities that are before us. Because remember, in any given time, we can, we can run a playbook that is uh, with you performing at a lower rate, right? Or you not paying attention to some of the details that are the responsibility of your role. But if you do pay attention to that and actually put your best work forward, then that allows you to personally grow, but it also allows you to achieve so that when you decide you're ready to walk through a door, that door is open to you, at least for what you can control. But what if you aren't controlling what you can control? That means that you could live with fear only because you haven't um, positioned yourself to at least try to reach for what you have set before you. So I, I think what I'm saying there is, I think it's extremely important for all of us. Nothing's gonna always work out wonderfully. We, it's not gonna always be that way. But I think we all owe it to ourselves in our personal um, growth to try to maximize how we are positioning ourselves. I, I, I like the choices to be mine as much as possible um, and, and not someone else's to make for me. That's wonderful. Um, I think um, everything that you said is all part of the advice that you would give to young students who are considering engineering, uh, a career in engineering, and that's not just academically, but mentally and emotionally, but as they prepare themselves. But we'll come back to that. Under your leadership at NCAMT, uh, which is the top producer of Black engineers uh, in the United States, um, what would you say is your secret to success? Well, I think the first thing to mention is that we're very proud of what we do at North Carolina A&T's College of Engineering, but it is not my success. It's actually the faculty, the staff, and the students of the College of Engineering that really produce that ecosystem that encourages and nurtures and welcomes uh, great minds, because great minds come in so many different hues to be a part of who we are and to graduate through our degrees. So first of all, it's the larger group that really enables that success. But I would also say that it's important that people also realize that our students can go anywhere in the country and they choose to come to the College of Engineering at North Carolina A&T. And I think they do so partially because of not only what we add to them and what we expose them to while they're here, but also because of who they're able to collaborate with. So I think the secret to our success is the bottom line is that we care and that we believe 
that our students must uh, be exposed to com competitions and be exposed to uh, challenging curricula and that we expect them to succeed in their professional careers. And so that is what we make as the as who we are as the College of Engineering. And I'm so pleased that, that the students and their parents recognize that uh, because our enrollments continue to grow. And so we're, we're really just so proud of our students. That's wonderful. Um, in reading uh, past articles, uh, achievements of the engineering college over the past, what, six months, NCANT has been involved in so much. There have been announcements about partnership, I, I, partnerships, I think, uh, with um, electric vehicles. Um, I think you're part of the Space Force. You're one of the few schools that were chosen um, as part of that. Um, also, I mean, so many other things. Um, I think there was a recent donation from uh, Dr. Vaughn's um, corporation. Um, it was indeed. Thank you, Dr. Vaughn. And thanks for supporting. <laughs> a lot of good things happening. And, and all of that tells me is that NCANT, as always, is looking to the future. So tell us about some of the changes that you have witnessed in engineering education over, the, over your time and the outlook for the future. Well, the outlook for the future is indeed bright. Um, the great, wonderful thing about our fields and, and, you know, is that there's so much opportunity and um, there's so many questions that are complex enough that the truth is it cannot be simply solved by any one field, by any one institution. And so because of that, as long as you have people who are willing to work hard and continue to just strive to make sure that they are looking for the difficult problems and, and writing the proposals and, and bringing in those grants, um, it does allow you to continue to push the envelope in our engineering and computer science fields. But what you also find, and you know, you're not able to fund um, have work funded by just being a single investigator. So how we collaborate with companies and how we collaborate with uh, government agencies really does matter as a university because together we're able to really cover so many parts that are necessary for those difficult problems to be solved. Um, as we think about the changes in the field, there have been, there've been a lot of changes. Um, our fields are changing quickly, I think is the first thing. So the rate of change is one thing that I would say has been a, a large change that you see with each decade. Um, how many, uh, how you find that things like AI and machine learning are influencing not only the fields of computer science, but influencing all fields is really making a difference because it changes what fundamentals are useful for students to know. And so when we were in school, we used to have, whatever your major was in, in engineering, we all had to learn programming. Um, and then there was a time when that went away, but you're finding that some fundamental skills of students knowing just Python, for instance, can be very valuable because of how things like AI are influencing so many fields. Um, so I think one of the main things I would say is what's happening over time is that the rate of change is very quick. And because of that, it's meaning that you are not an expert in one area and able to work in it as deeply for 10 years. It's a shorter time. And so you're having to make sure you're paying attention to what else is going on contextually. And sometimes you're having to continue to adapt your field in a certain kind of agility so that you're, you are also continuing to move forward because the fields are moving forward quickly. And so students have fundamentals that they have to learn, but students also have to make sure they're also aware of the context. And so at North Carolina A&T, for instance, systems engineering is a very important part that we are trying to make sure that our undergraduates and our grad students are exposed to because we know it's gonna be important for their future. That's wonderful. At the beginning of the conversation with Dr. Vaughn, you, you touched a little bit about um, sort of like uh, not seeing people who looked a lot like you in the field. Um, just being a woman in engineering is uh, 
you know, is 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 not something that's that's common. So I I wanted to touch a little bit on that, but the, the question is is because you still have a low percentage of African Americans or Black people, Hispanic people, people of color in in the engineering field, um, and and that ties into the question that I'm my next question, which is about mentoring. What advice do you give to young people on on the importance of finding a mentor? When do they need to find it? We talked about this last week uh, with the Black Engineer of the Year, the 2021 Black Engineer of the Year. So I'd really like you to give, give us some insights and perspectives on, on mentoring. No, absolutely. I think everyone needs a mentor. And what I mean by that, not just a new student, not just a new professional, but I think everyone throughout your career, you have to make sure that you're building the board of directors of mentors, because sometimes people think one mentor will be able to be the source for all knowledge for the things that they have questions of. And the truth is, you actually know what you need and you should think about how you're setting up a committee of mentors for the parts that you need. But um, as you seek to find your mentors that fit you, please make sure that you are mentorable. And what that means is that if you're asking someone to take their time to mentor you, please make sure that you're being responsive and prepared for those interactions because that is so important that you are taking time to um, ready yourself to have new information added to your context from someone who knows a little bit more. The other thing is that people imagine that mentors are, um, that mentors are people who are, know it all. But the truth is a mentor does not know it all. A mentor has certain points of view. So even as you find your mentors, please understand that that does not absolve you of the responsibility to take the information and combine it in a way that works best for you. Because the bottom line is that you as the individual are most responsible for your success. And so you cannot say that, oh, this didn't work, but you, my mentor, told me to do this. Instead, you have to weigh all information and content that you receive and figure out what is the best way to to move forward and then you close that loop with your mentor of of helping them see how you've adapted and took part of their knowledge because you want that kind of ownership of your own future so i hope that helps but i would also say even as you're thinking about any part of your career, the beginning, because you're just about to uh, begin as an engineering student or what you're way and further down the line, I think we all also need a community. And what that community needs to be for you may be different than for me. But the reason why community is important is that it's so valuable for all of us to make sure that we are not isolated in our navigation of our futures. And so community allows you to add to yourself in a way that helps you, helps strengthen you for whatever you have to encounter. So what your community needs to be, a community doesn't always have to look at you, look like you. It doesn't have to all be male or, or female, but it does have to work to be a source of rejuvenation and energy to help you move forward. That's wonderful. So a couple of things. You have to be mentorable. You have to it may not be a word, Lingo, but you know what I mean when I say that. <laughs> you have to ready yourself for mentoring. You have to be you have to own it. You have to show responsibility. And you have to be responsive to your community. Um, in the in the sense that people are not always gonna look like you. So you have to be ready to kind of stretch yourself, right? Is that what you're saying, Dr. Koga? Uh, so the community part that I was saying was really talking about the fact that as an individual who is seeking to become, you know, I always say, who knows what I'm gonna be when I grow up? I'm still deciding on that. And so the community that I was talking about in that particular context was the community that allows you to feel as though the space that you are is one that you can 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 endure that race and so it's the it's the community of friends or colleagues that a lot that strengthens um, you so that you can do the things that you want to do 
sometimes the community is there at the same job. Sometimes it's your family. Sometimes it's the friends that you've had for many years. But your community must be those people who know you well enough to be able to be reflections when it's necessary so that you can continue to adapt and grow and assess how well you're doing and are you centered in the way you need to be to succeed in the way you define success. Thank you, Dr. Koger. Um, before I hand it back to Dr. Dr. Vaughn, can you quickly tell us um, programs that you have at NCANT that can help high school students um, prepare for their next step in education, particularly for those who are trending or tending towards engineering, computer science, that kind of thing. Um, what advice do you have for them? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, North Carolina A&T's College of Engineering runs uh, the first Lego League and first Tech Challenge for the state of North Carolina. And you know, these are tournaments in which teams work together in order to build robotics that have to go through a different course. So it gives you a sense of the teamwork that's necessary, but it also gives you a, a sense of how applying your knowledge can produce results together in a STEM field, which is robotics. Um, we also have camps during the summer when we're not in the pandemic, of course, we have different camps that students can expose themselves to different kinds of fields. Um, and then we also work with different high schools. For instance, our Center for Energy Research and Technology uh, works with certain high schools to help expose them to energy and sustainability concepts. So those are some of the examples. And what I would say for wherever you are in the country, if those things are interesting to you at all, just make sure that you are not afraid to say, hey, let me try that program just to see if it's something that I'm interested in. So I hope that is helpful. Thank you, Dr. Koger. Thank you so very much. Um, well, at this point, I'm going to throw it back to Dr. Vaughn. Um, it's been great uh, talking to you today, uh, Dr. Koger. I'm looking forward to seeing you at there. Over to you, Dr. Vaughn. Looking forward to it, Lango. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Lango. And again, uh, Dean, it's just been a pleasure having the opportunity to spend time with you. I'm learning a lot, and, and that's really cool because uh, usually when our paths cross, we are agenda-driven and we get a, a few moments to check in, but uh, it's really great to get to see another side of people that you've come to know and admire. So um, it actually was just about a year ago that the, was the last time I saw you in person, and it was at Bea, uh, and then we left and uh, the whole realities of the uh, pandemic came upon us within a month after uh, Black Engineer. One of the things that is really cool about Black Engineer of the Year, about women of color uh, in STEM, is that I think we see a parade of unicorns every year uh, at these events. And so I wanna ask you uh, if you could tell us who is it in, in the world today uh, a leader, perhaps, uh, that you really think uh, is uh, epitomizing uh, this unicorn type of leadership? Who comes to mind for you? Wow, what a question. You know, I think the example that I'm going to choose, there are two. I would love to meet Vernon Jordan, and I would love to meet Barack Obama. Two very different people, but Vernon Jordan, because talk about courage and talk about someone who continues to use his knowledge in order to be impactful. As you think about so many different presidents that he has influenced because of his knowledge, but also the fact that he is very thoughtful and um, analytical as he's seeking, working often behind the scenes to, to make improvements for our, our nation. And then Barack Obama, because what he has been able to do is make sure that he hasn't forgotten the importance of family, even as he led the country for two terms, you know, as president of the United States. But even now when he's not the president, he's continuing to make sure that he is seeking uh, for to make a difference and influence in ways that are positively affecting uh, the country and the world. And so I think there's a quite a bit to learn from both of them because 
in the public eye that they have both been in, it's so important that they have held on to the core of who they are, even in the midst of all that they've achieved. So I guess I threw you for a loop on who I might say, but there we are. <laughs> oh, I, I, I saw heads nodding like, yeah, I can, I can, uh, I can get with that. And I, I think that it's um, really interesting because sometimes we make, I think, the, the mistake of thinking that there aren't examples that we can look to uh, as we are trying to aspire uh, uh, to our better selves. Uh, and so I appreciate that insight that you shared. Uh, so final word, um, can you give us some tips for what you think is mission critical for a good leader? And I, I know that we haven't said that that is um, how we would equate being a unicorn, but I think in some sense, if you are leading uh, from your true self, uh, that's, what we're, that's gonna make you a good leader. So what are some tips? Uh, for us to keep in mind uh, just to be good leaders? Oh, absolutely. I think the first and foremost is that good leaders care. And what mm. that means is that you actually care about the consequence of this, the decisions that you make. And if you care about the consequences of the decisions you make, then ideally you're aligning your intentions in the correct way. It doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes, but it does mean that you are directing your focus in the right way because of the output that you and the, and the result that you care about. The other thing about good leaders is that good leaders cannot think that leading only happens when you have the title. Leading has to happen because of who you are. And so it shows up when you are at any kind of environment that has a group of people because of how you're thinking and how you're adding to what is going on at that particular meeting, conference, conversation. So leading, if you get caught up in always having a title and therefore because that person has a title, they are the leader, I think you've already gone off the wrong road. You can lead from wherever you are in the room as long as you are making sure that the reason why you're choosing to add your leadership to that situation is to improve uh, the result. Thank you. And so I believe that what you just did was, uh, like we say on High Tech Sunday, you took us to church a little bit. Because, oh. of the fact, because of the fact that we do, we get so hung up on titles. Um, and I think that, and, and, and you and I, again, both know, um, I believe, how to manage if, if you are um, in a room full of PhDs and everyone is addressed as doctor so-and-so except you, uh, then I think that that's a different situation. And I believe that that's when uh, Unicorn Cobra would speak up and say, hold on, wait a minute. Uh, but I believe that in the, uh, in the correct sense, uh, you are saying that it again is about what's on the inside. And if what's on the inside is really true, to your passion and mission, then it won't matter what they call you, they will know that you've shown up and are able to make a contribution. And so you'll be sought out because of that and not because of the title. Absolutely. And, and there is a plaque on the wall in my office uh, that speaks to characteristics of leaders. It's something that uh, was captured by one of the perhaps greatest um, uh, CEOs in Corning's history. Uh, and it uh, speaks to beginning with casting vision, uh, but the last thing that it says is, leaders must say thank you. Mm -hmm. Leaders have to take care to care. Uh, and so it was really cool to hear you mention that, because if your team, if your department, if your university, if your community doesn't know that you care, then it really is going to cause people not to trust your unique unicornness. They won't see all that you bring to the table because they don't see that you see them. Right. And there's an authenticity that comes with caring that automatically is visible. Automatically. And when it's absent, 
you see it very clearly also. Just like the unicorn without the horn, you notice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dean Robin Coger, it's been a pleasure having these few minutes to uh, speak with you. Uh, we really appreciate you sharing your experience and giving your insights and certainly looking forward to continuing to hear from you as part of the uh, Black Engineer of the Year and the Women of Color Communities, as well as your uh, leadership at North Carolina A&C State University. So thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you for the honor of being here. It's been a pleasure It's and, and really an honor to be part of this. So thank you. Thank you. It has been fun. <laughs> and so with that, I'm going to hand things back over to Brandon Newby, who will see us out. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communication Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, and this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcasts will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time 